0: Politics, pop culture, and a whole bunch of other things that start with the letter P. The Mark Harvard Podcast. Who knew that
1: optimism could sound so sarcastic? Hey, 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 hey! Welcome in! to this episode of the mark harvard podcast hope you're having a fantastic week so far uh man this one's been a this one's been a little interesting you know here in alabama we had you know the 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 president's day holiday on monday and then we had you know snow and yeah (laughs) it's been an odd week next week is going to be weird actually working a full week it's going to be so bizarre man so i hope i hope you've been doing okay um especially if you're fighting this, this storm. I know I have friends over in Texas right now that are just, they're, they're really having a rough time. And, you know, I, I'm praying for them so badly because, you know, the people that are suffering, a lot of them are people that had in in no way a say in how their power works there. They're just there for work or they're there for, you know, for family, whatever. And they, you know, they, they, they didn't choose this. It was not something that was brought onto them by uh, by a choice that they made. So I'm I'm really in prayer for those. I I do like looking when we have these things like this, and I'm not. I know there's a lot of people that want to draw politics into it, and you know there are probably some 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 legitimate claims back and forth. But at the same time, this is also nature, and this is something that a lot of people did not see coming. Um, we have found where that line is. It it's almost like people. It's almost like if you were trying to find someone to blame for a house falling, being knocked over during a hurricane, you know, that's, yeah, you know, if, if not for this regulation, then the house would have been built a little more sturdy over here or would have guarded against this, but you know, that, you know, this political party stood in the way and that, that's silly <laughs> if, and what, yeah, fine. Um, But no one saw this kind of, this kind of energy draw coming. And now we have the rolling blackouts. It's a, it's a rough place for everybody involved although i will say the optics of of uh of politicians going to mexico during this on vacation probably not the best thing probably should have delayed that trip anyway i look for these good stories coming out of it and i found this one out of harris county texas extreme weather has plunged millions into frigid darkness in texas deputies there are not letting it dim their humanity when harris county sheriff's deputies learned that a man couldn't afford to stay at a local hotel they paid out of pocket for a room for his family e- yeah they have small children and you know they didn't have power and so they uh, they tried to work on it right now 73 percent of the u.s is covered in snow it's the most widespread coverage in 17 years um Although the outage outages in Texas did drop below one million, so that's good. That's good, and we're having you know we're having to really watch things. I mean, it, there's so many heartbreaking stories coming out. I felt like I needed to to share something that was good where people were taking care of each other. You know, because that's what that's what we're called to do, and it's people living out you know you know Christ's plan there. So I I really enjoy sharing those. Um, someone who probably should have thought a little bit about what they were sharing though. This article came out, uh, Sarah Parkak from UAB. Uh, she's being labeled a space archaeologist. That's because she used the satellite for something a few years back. But um, she's an archaeologist there at UAB. And in case you missed it, this week Rush Limbaugh passed away. Now, whether or not you agree with him on his politics is is not is not an issue here. You know, he was a human being. He Yeah, there are a lot of signs that point to him not being a great person. But as someone who was in radio for a number of years, um, you have to respect the legacy. You have to respect the uh, the 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 um, the moves that he made, and you have to respect uh, the career path. The same way you would Paul Harvey, the same way you would any of these other you know radio guys that just revolutionary revolutionized what they were doing. But um, that being said, any human being that you just don't agree with on political stuff you don't make comments about enjoying their death on twitter the actual tweet the actual tweet was uh was from her was um oh where was it uh i'm finding the actual quote here um oh here we are yeah um the, the actual quote is, when a terrible piece of scum who caused immeasurable harm to millions dies, there is no sympathy, only a desire that they suffered until their last breath. Yeah, it's the point where the president of the of the university, Ray Watts, issued a statement condemning the tweet. The head of the GOP for the state is speaking out, asking about how how long we're going to tolerate her. And, and, and here's the thing, though. A lot of people will yell freedom of speech, freedom of speech, freedom of speech. Um, you can have a freedom of speech, but you don't get a freedom from consequences. You don't get an automatic buy just because this is America. Um, freedom of speech was put into place so that people didn't get arrested for speaking out against their government. Um there are limits on that though same reason you can't go you know yell about you know a fire or bombs in an airport or, or a movie theater you know there are limits there. Um, there's basically common sense that you have to <laughs> take into consideration there. Um, now that being said um, everyone's looking at at Twitter. Now I'm hearing people there, people, especially on the GOP side, they're looking at Twitter and saying, oh, this is, this is okay. They'll let this stay up. But yet they take down stuff that Donald Trump put out. Well, you know what? Twitter's rules. It's it's their car, their rules. And as much as I, I don't know that she's a horrible person, but she certainly makes a great case for it. Um, As much as I disagree with what she posted, I think that. Twitter is allowed to make those decisions on their own. They're a private company. I mean, they're publicly traded, but, I mean, you don't like it, get out. Um, it, that's, that's just part of a commercial enterprise. I mean, we can say, you know, all day long, hypocrisy, hypocrisy. But in the end, it's their car, their rules. You know, and, you know, if you don't like it, go start up your own company. And, you know, there's Parler, but Parler made the, it made the mistake of getting... You know, of depending everything on servers and on distribution that was actually owned by politically opposed groups, you know? (laughs) You may have to think outside a little bit of the norm. So I say all that to get to Twitter's able to make their own choices on what they allowed to put up on what they allow to stay up. That's Twitter's prerogative to do what it wants. You don't want, you don't like it, don't read it. It's the same thing we used to say when people complained about what Trump was putting up. You don't like it, don't read it. That's, you know, it's the same thing. On top of that, she can't say, well, this is my freedom of speech. No no one can say anything to me about it because they absolutely can. And I'm not even talking about going down the road of like a cancel culture thing. I'm talking about your i mean your your job can say something about that because you are a representation of the people that work at this organization. For years I spent years in in Christian radio. Years in Christian radio. And because of that, I had to really watch what I said and what I posted and all that. Um and to and to be honest, it didn't really hamper me much. I mean, it really didn't, because I'm not someone who's gonna go out and just blast a bunch of people. Uh, I'm I'm not someone who's gonna just gonna carpet bomb a bunch of people with hate, just because I feel like raising my my followers or whatever. Um, I have common sense, and I was age, and I was raised right. You know, my parents did a pretty good job instilling in me what's appropriate for certain certain uh, mediums. That being said, yeah, you know, I misstep sometimes, but for the most part, that you know, I, I'm not going to do something that's going to embarrass the people I work for, but embarrass myself, embarrass you know my faith. I'm not going to do things that that really don't need to you know be repeated. You know, if your grandma would would have a problem with it, you probably should think twice about it. You know, um, so yeah, I, do. I think UAB is going to do something. Yeah, probably not, because this 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 will die down pretty fast and she's already had a couple of scandals to the point where it makes you think, okay, she must have some sort of value there that they overlook it. It's kind of like, the it's the house syndrome, you know? Uh, if you ever watched the show House, he treated everybody horribly, uh, didn't follow any rules, but he was so good at his job <laughs> that he gained a bunch of extra leeway. It makes me think that there's some of that there. Um, but there, they, they, there is inherent value in having her there. At least there is, to the university, to her superiors, and that sort of thing, to where they're hoping this is just gonna breeze over, and they don't really have to take much action. Um, but I don't know. I don't. I don't know anybody in that department. I don't. I don't know. I don't have anybody I can ask. So uh, we're just watching as it comes out, watching the the news and the notes and everything coming out. But I can say that the university president uh, issued the statement that UAB is disgusted and extremely troubled that uh, Sarah Parkak would tweet something so unprofessional and blindly inhumane and cruel. And that was a an official release from the president of the university. Poor judgment, completely counter to her to our shared values as an institution that include integrity and respect. She absolutely does not speak for our university, and we are reviewing the matter. So we'll have to keep uh, keep checking out and seeing what happens there. Um, this is pretty cool. I always like I love it when there's a new religious movie coming out, and I say that because. Um, Even if it's a movie that's horrible, looking at you, Noah, uh, even if it's a movie that's horrible, it opens a dialogue to talk to people that you wouldn't get to talk about or talk about Christianity to. You know, it brings it into the news cycle and people can actually listen to it instead of being, you know, you know, you you have those people that if they feel like they're being witnessed to, they put that wall up. So a new movie is coming out about C.S. Lewis's early life and religious conversion. I'm pretty excited about this. So it's called The Reluctant Convert, and it's set in a period before the 1950 publication of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. It's being adapted from the successful one-man stage play starring Max McLean. Uh, Lewis will be portrayed in three stages of life, wandering through his own memories as an older man. So it's kind of a flashback thing. Also played in the film by McLean. So uh, Nicholas Ralph portrays Lewis in the 20s. Tom Glinster appears as his friend and intellectual sparring partner J.R.R. Tolkien. You know, from The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. Um, Directed by Norman Stone. Uh, 35-year-old Stone won a uh, BAFTA award for directing Shadowlands. That's pretty cool. So this this could be interesting. This could be interesting. Uh, C.S. Lewis is one of those figures that you know he's known for the the big commercial stuff but he had some pretty interesting stuff outside of what is out there on the on the the, the greatest hits you know he had some good album album cuts if you like so uh i'm i'm interested to see how this turns out this is going to be kind of cool um i did see that uh, ever you know a lot of people are are doing the the covid uh shots thing um i have friends that have been at, have, have gotten at least the first and even now the second vaccination uh, my parents have both gotten gotten their vaccinations. Um, my wife and I are on the list. Alabama has now, this was announced yesterday. I uh, actually updated today from our friends over at al.com. Alabama saw a 31% jump in COVID vaccines last week. And now the only thing holding them back is the supply. They got to get more in. But um, but yeah, so that that's where it's that's coming from, which is funny. Because now we're seeing reports that Teachers are coming from Georgia to Alabama to try to get shots, which is hilarious because a couple of weeks ago, people were coming from Alabama to Mississippi to get shots. <laughs> when it comes down to it, though, people are just going to, they're going to try to get their shots regardless. I'm, I think people are, are hungry for it. Um, we are seeing some stats of people that are, that are turning it down. They're a little weary of it. Um, and I get that. That's your prerogative. I don't think this should be a mandated thing by any any stretch of the imagination. I don't think that the government needs to be, you know, mandating uh, stuff like this. But at the same time, I also think it's a smart move. So it's the safest thing that I think for my family, and so I think we're going to go ahead and do it. But, yeah, yeah. So basically Alabama has finally gotten their, you know, one foot in front of the other with it after dragging for a while. I mean, we were so low on some on a lot of these um, a lot of these, um, these lists of, of, distribution, but we ended up, you know, we're, we're now up to the point where getting the vaccine itself is the only thing holding us back. So there's that there's good, there's good coming out there. Um, one cool story real quick, uh, Dolly Parton, I don't know if you noticed now Dolly Parton through COVID tried to do a lot well, actually, she tried to do all that she could to try to help people out. I mean, she, you know, she, she, you know, put money in people's pockets. She fed some, some families. It was really good. She did a lot, and now they're wanting to actually put a statue of her in the state capitol. and they started uh, setting up a bill to go in front of uh, the legislators to vote on this thing. Dolly Parton sent out a tweet with a statement. She says, I want to thank the Tennessee legislature for their consideration of a bill to erect a statue of me on the Capitol grounds. She said, I am honored and humbled by their intention, but I have asked leaders of the state legislature to remove the bill from any and all consideration. Given all that's going on in this world, I don't think putting me on a pedestal is appropriate at this time. I hope, though, that somewhere down the road, several years from now, or perhaps when I'm gone, if you still feel like I deserve it, then I'm certain I will stand proud in your great state capital as a grateful Tennessean. In the meantime, I'll continue to try to do good work to make this great state proud. You know, that that kind of humility, that's very refreshing. You know, man, good people. She's good people. I'll tell you that. Speaking of good people, stick around. After the break, we've got Lauren Sisler coming up. Um, she's an ESPN sideline reporter. She has been, has won so many rewards, and she's actually got a new documentary out that talks about her early life and um, her upbringing. That was kind of challenging at times. So that's coming up in just a few. Stick around for that. In the meantime, I want to thank uh, Old World Lumiere Candle Company. For being a sponsor of the show. Also, don't forget, uh, go to thatcc.com for more information about how you can register for that church conference and uh, hear me speak as, my, as well as a bunch of other church uh, leaders. And uh, uh, we're talking about digital church and how and how online ministry works. So uh, go check that out, thatcc.com. Stick around. It's the Mark Harvard Podcast. The Mark
0: Harvard Podcast
1: like to welcome a brand new sponsor to the podcast, it's Old World Lumiere Candle Company, and these guys are great. You, you know, you want your home to smell good, and sometimes that's a little harder than other times, especially when you're like me, you got a four-year-old and a dog and two cats and uh, you know, your house is under constant construction. Uh, but these things are fantastic. We've got them in our home, and you should have them in yours. There are all kinds of different scents. There's fruity, there's fresh and floral. There's herbal and earthy candles. There's food and drink ones. Let me just go down this food and drink, because guys, these aren't your normal you know, old lady candles you're gonna find somewhere. You can get a candle that smells like bacon. Uh, Apple cider donut, banana nut bread. I've got some of the bourbon soaked raisin ones in my house, and they smell fantastic. It doesn't hurt that I love raisins, and I'm also pretty partial to bourbon. But still, amazing scents, and you're going to find something that that you like. I've got the link over on the Facebook page for Old World Lumiere Candle Company. Support them and let them know that you heard about them right here on the Mark Harvard Podcast. You can join me on May 4th and 5th for That Church Conference. The last year, if you're a church communicator, the last year has been trying to say the least (laughs) and that church conference can help out with all kinds of ideas all different ways you can grow god's kingdom for your church and help reach those that need to be reached it's a two-day online event for pastors and church leaders and it is absolutely free so go to thatcc.com to reserve your free tickets and here's the cool thing here's the well the extra cool thing is that I am back as a speaker for the second year in a row I'm so excited to be back I'm joining a, a an incredible lineup of speakers that are way smarter than I am these are folks like Ben Stapley uh, folks like Matt Brown uh, Jessica Beeler, uh, Jenny Catrone these are the folks that are leading in church communications they know how to help your church so make sure to Plan to be there May the 4th and 5th for this two-day online event. It's That Church Conference. Get your free tickets. That's cc.com.
0: Find us on Facebook, Instagram, MeWe, and online at MarkHarvardCreative.com. The Mark Harvard Podcast. The Mark Harvard Podcast.
1: Welcome back. It is the Mark Harvard podcast. And don't forget, you can be a part of the show. All you have to do is call and leave a voicemail. 251-616-2058. 251-616-2058. Now, as promised... We've got on the phone Lauren Sissler. Now, Lauren is a sideline reporter for ESPN. We know her here in the Birmingham area from TV, from local TV, but uh she's she's as if as if a a, a bird going off and learn and learning how to fly. Lauren has left and and gone and gone to do bigger and, and national things as well as covering, you know, the good old SEC. Lauren, thank you so much for being with us today. Yes,
0: yeah, so grateful to be there. And hey You know, I'm a Virginia gal from Roanoke, Virginia, but I feel now that I've been in the Alabama area since 2011, as you mentioned, I can claim rights to being, you know, a, a hybrid, maybe um, a transplant into the Birmingham area. So I feel like I'm kind of an Alabamian nowadays.
1: There you go. I think there's a, a certain term of limitations where you're you're, you're an outsider. Um, as long, yeah, especially with Virginia, as long as you're, no, you're from, not from anywhere more north than Virginia, because then once, once you're a Yankee, <laughs> you're always a Yankee.
0: That's right. Exactly. Thirty That's years right. you
1: lived here. You're from oh you're from Boston. Oh you're a Yankee.
0: <laughs> yeah, so, exactly right. Yep. I know how that goes.
1: Absolutely. Now, if you follow Lauren on on social media, I got to tell you, Lauren has got one of the most entertaining sports related Instagram accounts ever because just because uh, Lauren gets into the sideline music. <laughs> and, and the sideline shimmy is something that's hilarious.
0: Something to behold, I must say. <laughs> and it's actually funny because some people have actually caught me doing it when there is no music. Because sometimes I'll actually just start beatboxing music in my head and just start dancing. <laughs> so uh, there, there's been a time or two people are like, uh, what are you dancing to? I've also had, you know, my producer in my ear giving me cues. Like, all right, do the shopping cart. Do the shopping cart. And <laughs> hey, in the sprinkle. background you hear like college game day over the loudspeaker. So it, it, it's, uh you know, I, I tell people, so as a former gymnast, That was like my adrenaline deal. I loved going out there and competing. But, you know, you got to do something to settle the nerves and that adrenaline. So the sideline shimmy actually helps me to kind of settle my nerves before a football game so that I can kind of pace myself out of the gate because I'm always going a million miles a minute. So it helps me to slow down, breathe, and get my composure uh, right out of the gates as we get ready to kick off, you know, whatever college football game it might be.
1: Now, you've had a pretty odd year this year, right?
0: odd you know yeah i'd say that's a that's a that's a <laughs> a, a pretty uh good term for it um yeah. very strange very different uh i was actually honored with being selected to do the very first college football game of the 2020 pandemic season um in which i covered the fcs kickoff in montgomery alabama at the crampton bowl yeah um and and you know i gotta tell you i, I truly did not realize the magnitude of that game until I was done. I went and got in my car and I was like, wow, I just covered the first football game of the pandemic. And I just, you know, I just, we, we weren't even certain football season was going to happen. And so Mm -hmm. for it to happen and then to be out there for the kickoff of the season, to watch things unfold, it truly was, uh, you know, monumental and, you know, so many people went into making it possible and just, you know, uh, it took a lot of optimism, a lot of strength and courage to move forward with it. But uh, thankfully, we got through it. And again, thankful for the opportunity.
1: Yeah, it's one of those things that I feel like a lot of people can remember, obviously, you know, how, how I mean. I feel like I feel like the pandemic's gonna be something that affects us the rest of our lives. Kind of like how everybody that went through the uh, through the um the Great Depression, they were thrifty the rest of their lives. I wonder if if we're, if the people that went through this pandemic are gonna be clean freaks the rest of their lives, you know?
0: I know it. Well, I'll tell you what. I'm sadly, I'm not really a germaphobe, and I never have been. So I mean, that's not to say I don't wash my hands and, you know, um, shower and bathe on a regular basis. but, all that to say is I'm just one of those people, I'll tell you, I, I'm going to, uh, Mark, I'm going to go ahead and put this out here. One thing that I've missed probably perhaps the most during the pandemic, the access to buffets. Uh. I love myself a good buffet. <laughs> I have no shame in saying that. I I love to have options, lots and lots and lots of options. And when you go to a restaurant, like I want one of every appetizer, one of every side, <laughs> a salad, a dessert, you know, and maybe throw in a little protein, Okay. So it's tough on me. It's been tough not being able to visit the buffet on the regular. Um, so that's one thing I definitely will say that I probably missed the most during the pandemic.
1: That's something you don't hear a lot of gymnasts say. Oh no. no, Lauren! Lauren was a captain of her of, of the Rutgers gym team, gymnast team. Uh, <laughs> you don't hear that a lot, you know?
0: Yeah, you definitely you definitely don't <laughs> hear that, and you also don't hear too many gymnasts that are five foot nine, which is also uh, on my stat line. So yeah. you know, um, just. When you say odd, I think I fit that profile pretty well.
1: <laughs> now, Lauren, I want to I, I want to you know, shift gears just a little bit here. Uh, you mentioned your time at Rutgers. Now, Rutgers was also it was a place where you end up dealing with a lot emotionally as well. Uh, talk a little bit about what happened. Uh, it was your, I guess it was your freshman year when you were away.
0: Yeah, so it was my freshman year at Rutgers, and I had always dreamed of being a collegiate gymnast. I was living out my dream. I was so excited to be there. And of course, you know, there was always the challenges that come with transitioning from high school to college and balancing out the schoolwork and everything else. But, you know, I felt um, I was home. I felt Rutgers was a place I could call home. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I was eight hours from my home in Roanoke, Virginia, but still maintain a very close relationship with both of my parents. We always had a very strong relationship growing up. They were always very involved in my athletics as well as my older brothers. And, You know, just there to kind of support us and everything we needed and try to help us, you know, map out, uh, you know, that that road to success. And so, um, you know, it it I guess for, for me and for my brother and for my family, we always felt very fortunate, you know, to have that love and support. So,
1: yeah.
0: Freshman year at college, um, it was my second semester, and uh, I picked up the phone like I always did, called my parents, had a great conversation with them, hung up the phone with our I love yous, and went to bed that night and woke up to a phone call from my father who informed me that my mom had passed away. And I was just so shocked, like, what? I just talked to mom. I don't understand. Like, I, I this makes no sense to me. You know, everything seemed fine when I talked to her several hours ago. And he said, just get on the next plane you can, and I'll be at the airport to pick you up with no explanation at all of what had happened and what had ultimately taken my mother's life. So I get on the plane, I get home to Virginia, hoping and waiting and and praying that he would be there to pick me up just as he had promised. And unfortunately, he didn't show up to the airport that day. And instead, it was my uncle and my cousin who had to deliver the bad news that my dad too had passed away. And we later found out that both of them died um, from a lethal amount of prescription drug that my mom had been prescribed fentanyl. Both of my parents had been going to a pain management doctor in Roanoke, Virginia, seeking out help to help them manage their uh, chronic pain. And eventually it uh, turned into, you know, substance use disorder. And um, it was something that they were battling in silence. It was a very concealed battle with addiction. My family really didn't have any clue, you know, looking back, there were some things that you could say, well, maybe that's a red flag here and there, but At the time, it just came as a complete shock to my family. And Mark, I got to be honest, like when I actually started to kind of learn the truth of what happened, I was still so afraid of it. I was ashamed of it. And I just didn't want to acknowledge the truth. So I ran from the truth for so many years. I ran and I ran and I ran because I didn't want people to know how my parents died because I was afraid that my parents would be judged and that I would be judged ultimately because of the word addiction being Part uh, addiction and overdose being as their cause of death.
1: Yeah, I, I can only imagine that plane ride coming back. The stress, the uh, the anxiety that was surrounding you in that seat on the plane coming back, and that was just you know you knew something w- was going on with one parent, and then you get back and you just kind of get that that secondary just punch in the face with with the, finding out it was the other parent too. It took a while for you to uh, to really. That I'm, and correct me if I heard this correctly. Um, it, t- it took a while for you to actually even open up the autopsy, right?
0: Yeah, actually took 10 years. Um, My aunt, 90 days after my parents had passed, went into the coroner's office, picked up the autopsy reports, as well as the toxicology reports that outlined the investigation, everything that happened that evening, into the next day um, of their passing and she handed it to me and said, do you want to open it and read it? And I said, no. And I threw it in the floorboard and refused to open it And for 10 years. I refused to open it. And I think the biggest reason for that was because I knew that if I opened up those reports, the truth would be right there in front Mm -hmm. of me on paper. And the longer I could run away from that, the longer I could hide from it, the more I could create my own reality. And that's what I did. I created my own reality in my mind and, that's what I would share with people. Oh, my da- mom died of respiratory failure. Well, yes, mm. she died of respiratory failure, but that sounds a lot better than overdose, right? Yeah. Um. Yes. Same. Same with my father. Oh, he died of a heart attack. Well, his heart stopped because he had respiratory failure because he overdosed on his drug. Yeah. And so that's how, in my mind, I was able to facilitate this story, this sugar-coated story, to protect my parents, their legacy, and to protect me and my family. And. You know, I thought I was doing a good job of protecting us. But I think in the end, I found that I was being suffocated by the shame and the guilt, and just the the grief and despair that when I started coming forward and talking more openly about it and acknowledging what had happened first and foremost, and then being able to share with people, it was like those shackles of shame had been undone and I was able to breathe again.
1: Yeah. And you've actually taken this experience now and you've been able to help other people that have gone through similar uh, sort of experiences, right?
0: Yeah. And that's, uh, that's kind of where I've arrived, you know, at this, at this juncture coming up on 18 years since my parents passed away. And like I said, it took about 10 years to get to a place where I was really facing it front, you know, full force and um, head on. And then of course, you know, being able to share it with others. And I've made it my mission and my goal to be a voice for people who feel silenced, feel silenced by the stigma and by the shame that they feel when they're dealing with challenges in life and, you know, obviously substance use disorder, uh, addiction, that being at the primary uh, forefront, um, as well as mental health disorders, people are going through so many things and society has, uh, you know, unfortunately stigmatized things over the years. And, um, you know, it is my goal to be a voice for those people and to say it's OK to not be OK. It's OK mm-hmm. to ask for help because we're all fighting something we all have a story and honestly that really became more apparent to me through my sports career which which is crazy how things kind of came full circle you know i get into sports reporting because like uh, cool i get to like talk to coaches and athletes and cover national championships and you know be on the sidelines of games and like this is a cool job like i i am very fortunate and blessed for it but what i realized is it's more than a game It's the stories that I get to tell of these coaches and these athletes and these fans that I'm so passionate about, but Oh, by the way, they're coming to me with their story and I'm sharing their story. I'm being a voice from them for them, but I've been silenced. My own voice has been silenced. And so really I finally gave myself permission to share my story and come out and, and, and use that to help other people. And I'm doing that with um, a variety of uh, events and, and volunteer work at the Addiction Prevention Coalition here in Birmingham, and um, I'm a board member there. And then working on a um, a, an, a virtual tour or virtual event series featuring uh, my 20-minute um, documentary that we uh, wrapped up filming and producing um, just over the last year.
1: Yeah, it. I, I I I I haven't gotten to see that yet. I'm ready to to watch it though. I just I love how God's using you. You know, I mean, I'm I'm always one of those big folks that says that, you know, God, you know, doesn't cause these bad things to happen, but God can use anything. And I love how God is using your tragedy to, uh, to help others through their own tragedy. It's, it's, it's amazing to watch God at work, you know?
0: It it truly is. And he has been such a big, uh, part of my life. Um, you know, I, I grew up going to church. I grew up every night. My dad would tuck me in to say our prayers and, you know, before gymnastics meets, my mom always had these little credit cards that would have inspirational sayings, Bible verses, scripture. And one of my favorites was always uh, Footprints in the Sand. I loved that poem. It was mm-hmm. then that I carried you. And I remember using that when I would be challenged in life and things weren't going great at gymnastics or I'd have an injury or whatever it may be. I remember leaning into that, leaning into my faith. But when my parents passed away, there was so much anger and so much grief and just confusion that I, I in many ways lost myself and I lost my relationship with God. But in, in the truth of it all, when I didn't realize that he was carrying me and he was carrying me to this point today where I've had this opportunity to be a voice for others. And I think he truly has helped me to find my purpose. Sure. Like I said, I love sports. I'm passionate about it, but I also love that I can use sports and what I've learned in my career as a vessel to use that, to be a voice for other people, to find my purpose and to help other people through some of their most challenging times. And that has been my goal. And I'm just so fortunate that he has opened my eyes to that. And while there's times I look back and say, man, why did it take so long? I think it was all in God's timing and I needed time to grow and mature. And I needed ultimately this time to heal so that I could heal and I could help others in that process.
1: Lauren Sessler, thank you for joining us today. You are awesome.
0: Thank you so much, Mark. I appreciate you. Best of luck on your your new endeavor, and um, I'm I'm just thankful to be a part of it. And uh, thank you to everyone out there listening. I hope you guys stay well and be blessed.
1: All right, that does it. Thank you once again, Lauren Sissler, for joining us today. And don't forget to go check out all of her social media. I'll put in, uh, links in the show notes over on uh, Facebook and on on MeWe and on on uh, Instagram as well. Real quick before we leave, KFC is actually (laughs) going to be 3D bioprinting meat using animal flesh cells for the meat of the future. You know, in case you didn't have another reason not to go to KFC, because that's just freaky. I don't know about that. That's something that, uh, that's a sci-fi thing going wrong, because I think eventually those things are going to develop sentient thought and take over the world. So, yeah. All right. Don't forget, you can find us all over the place and like the podcast. Leave us your, your, uh, your reviews and your stars and all that. We appreciate that. And go follow us on social media. Have a fantastic week. My name is Mark Harvard. It's the Mark Harvard Podcast. And I'm out.
0: The Mark Harvard Podcast.